All of this starts to go away the moment you take their package out of the standard brown Amazon box because you immediately say, okay, this is different because $2 tweezers can't afford this. $2 tweezers would come in a cheap little container. This is something different. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven, and eight-figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven-figure exit, and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Do you feel you're wasting money you could be keeping in your pocket? Well, many private label Amazon sellers don't even know where they're wasting money, let alone how to stop it. But if that's you, we can help. Our new online assessment helps you identify your biggest Amazon profit killer and what to do about it. For a powerful and quick diagnosis, go to amazonprofitquiz.com. That's amazonprofitquiz.com to get your instant free analysis straight away. If you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash 394. Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven and eight figure Amazon private label and custom product sellers. Today, we're talking to Jason from Crowdspring. Jason Buyer and Crowdspring is a curated marketplace for custom design. There's a lot behind that little statement. So Jason, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Michael, for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Tell me quickly, what does that mean? Curated marketplace for custom design. That sounds fractionally corporate. Put it in words of one syllable for us. So busy e-commerce entrepreneurs can make sense of what we're talking about here. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, You can find design anywhere, right? Our sister's cousin's best friend knows how to design. <laughs> but it, it takes on a lot of risk when you have to find these people and understand if they're competent and can they deliver on a certain time frame. And so we take on all of that risk for the business owner. We curate the designers, make sure that they understand how to design specifically for 33 categories of branding and design that you might be looking for. And then back it all up with 100% money back guarantee. So you don't have to take our word for it. We're going to stand behind the delivery. So it creates a much quicker, smoother process for creating custom branding and custom design. Fantastic. Today, we're going to talk about the whole brand identity. Hey, people use the word brand to such an insane degree. It's become meaningless. That sometimes an entire sellable business. Sometimes it means a sort of sub-business owned by some giant corporation, but which we know is a household name. But I guess today we're talking about roughly, what do you understand by the word brand identity? Because I guess we're talking about the visual aspects, we're talking about something else, and it involves designers. Where where does that sort of leave you with your definition of brand identity in this kind of discussion? Yeah, absolutely. So brand identity is a subset of branding, right? And we throw the word branding around that we typically think about as much larger companies, Amazon and Apple. But to define a brand is quite simply every single interaction that somebody has with your company or your product. That's what a brand is. It's every single interaction. And so that is, that's your customer service. That's your return policy. That is your, how quickly you answer the phone or return phone calls, right? It's your email signature. It's it's everything. It's everything related to the touch points between your prospects and your customers and your company or your product. The brand identity is nestled under that. Brand identity is everything visual 
about your company, right? And so this is your logo. This is your website. These are the colors that you use in the packaging, right? It's all the visual elements. And this is really important because we process imagery thousands of times faster than text. And so you can communicate with somebody very quickly through the visuals, whereas paragraphs of text would be needed to do that otherwise. And so it's very powerful. Colors create emotion. We want to be able to show somebody that they're in the right place, that this product is for them, and that there's no doubt in their minds that they should give this a try. Right. Nice, nice, nicely put. I think it strikes me that your definition of brand is a sort of one that's defined by the market or the users or prospects, consumers, clients, all those kinds of people, rather than what we want it to be, which is a very realistic thing, by the way. I think that's true. And obviously we want to influence that. <laughs> so as you said, the brand identity is the visual elements around the brand. Nicely put. And I just want to flag up, you said packaging. So when we're talking about designers, you're not just offering a, if I may use one of your potential competitors' names, 99 design style very much visual kind of graphic art. So I guess you guys offer quite a wide variety of types of designers. Is that right? We do. So it's from very early stage product ideation. So naming the company or the product. So this is very early in, in the life cycle to creating that visual brand identity, like the logo to then creating the packaging and then creating actual physical designs that you can manufacture through 3D printing, additive manufacturing, and seeing these types of manufacturing processes using custom designs. And we can talk about all of these, but I do want to circle back to that idea you mentioned just previously about controlling that brand, right? That, that is impacted by the feedback from customers and prospects. Apple, Amazon, Facebook, they can't tell us what to think about their brands. They can only guide us, right? Now, they do a great job at that because they have billions of dollars to be able to put towards guiding brand perception. But even these large companies, they can't tell you what to think. They, the Apple can't tell you, you must think that our products are beautifully designed and intuitive. They have to actually do that, make that a core part of their business, and then market that to the customer and help them understand how they're different. And that's the same thing with a smaller brand is that we can't tell somebody what to think. We have to guide them on what to think about our brand. And we do that through visuals, through non-visuals, right? So think about the customer service policy. Think about waiting on hold. We've all been on hold where the message says, you are a very important caller. We will be with you in 37 minutes. And you're thinking there's a disconnect, right? If I was so important to you, it wouldn't take 37 minutes for you to pick up the phone. You'd hire more staff, right? This is a disconnect. And so we want to make sure that our actions are, are, we can actually back up our actions because it's going to impact our brand perception. Yeah, beautifully put. And I, I guess that I would say another way of putting what you're talking about, I suppose, is the brand promise, isn't it? And there's implicit and explicit promises. I guess the area in life where, aside from consumer products, which is very irrationally driven behavior in terms of buying behavior, and I include myself in that, right? Businesses allegedly sometimes rationally driven, but consumer products aren't. And the other area, of course, is relationships, sexual and romantic and lifelong partner relationships are, of course, those implicit promises all over the place that are sometimes never, ever put into words. And yet they're there. If you go on a date, you assume that the person's going to turn up, that right. there is some possibility of a romantic or sexual activity somewhere down the line that I, I guess there's all sorts of things around gender identity, which we could get into and get messy very quickly. But the point is, I guess that the difference between that and when we're creating our own brand, and tell me what your thoughts are on this, if for me would be, we have to consciously engineer it, but it is unconsciously perceived. In other words, if I want 
people to perceive my products as very high-end and intuitive like Apple does. They have to work incredibly hard at the product design. They have to work incredibly hard at the marketing to make it look effortless. They have to work incredibly hard at the PR side to make sure that if their factory in China isn't using labor that's dodgier than everyone wanted, that that doesn't tie their brand and so forth. So that I, as the irrational consumer, just have a feeling about Apple and it feels natural to me. That's my sort of perception of those situations. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. And I think you started with the product, right? The product still has to be good, right? You can still put a lot of money towards a bad product and market it, but it's still ultimately going to fail. The, the product is one aspect of it, but the delivery mechanism, right? The unboxing experience matters just as much, right? Because you want to highlight that good product. So we've been talking about Apple. I'm a big fan of Apple. I just got actually a MacBook Pro last night and I unboxed it. And when I opened the lid, it just turned on. And I had the, I had the chorus music. I just started up. Think about all of the decisions that went into that. The battery was charged. The software was ready to boot up as soon as I opened it for the first time. The sound, you know, just reassured me that this is Apple and I'm in the right place and I made a great decision. And these are all part of this experience. And so having a great product is one thing. But especially if we're selling through Amazon or a third party, we want to make sure that unboxing experience get somebody just as excited to use the product and reminds them that, hey, this is a premium product, if that's the case, or this is an affluent product that's meant for this market. Or maybe it's not. Maybe it's meant to be frustration-free, right? This is going to solve a problem for you, and it's reducing frustration, meaning it's also not in frustration packaging that you're struggling to open. And frustration-inducing packaging, right? Finding something that's frustration-free would be on brand for a product that's trying to solve certain problems for the customer. Yeah, that's great. And I think one of the things that I see the trap that I've fallen into and that clients have worked with over the years, creating their own custom products or even private labeling and existing products. And frankly, the difference isn't so big as we'd think. So yes, Apple creates their own designs and they're amazing. They, they don't do all their own manufacturing in-house, so Foxconn is, is pretty massive. Everything is done by somebody else at some level these days, right? At least most right. of the time. So where am I going with this? One of the traps I see people going to is all the time is just be, quote, better with the product than everything out there. And they try and do it in all dimensions. <laughs> and what that means is you end up with an incredibly expensive design that you can sell probably only for 20% more than your competition because you can't create infinite price premium or it takes decades of marketing to get it and so what you're saying is that you have to have certain exceptionally clear brand values and then really think through the whole experience to make sure it's good so with apple it's very intuitive i know some people who are for example control freaky computer development types who want pcs because they get to dig under the hood and i love the fact that i'm just about good enough to be dangerous to myself or not good enough to fix it that apple doesn't let me do stuff like that that they are control freaky and that helped. I like that. So those are some very clear decisions that Apple doesn't make it open and easy to adjust and stuff. And some people hate that and I love it. And so that, that clarity of decision strikes me as really important as well. Yeah, you definitely can't be everything to anybody. That's what a brand is, right? A brand turns people off. Right? There are passionate Apple followers and there are passionate haters. And the, the ability to not you know, fix your phone yourself opens up privacy problems, right? And so you have maybe a, a more secure interface with Apple compared to allowing something a little bit more open sourced. Yeah, brands should turn people off. A brand should have passionate followers and people who say, no, this is not for me. That's when you know you're speaking to somebody very specific instead of trying to speak to everybody. Because if you're trying to speak to everybody, this is a, a commodity-based product. And you can still be successful with a commodity-based product, but you have to do a lot more marketing 
a lot more volume for lower sales. You really want to find a very specific audience and speak directly to them. So they say, okay, I'm in the right spot. This is for me. And by the way, I think people also misunderstand this is my final sort of rant on the general mistakes I see. They think that cheaper is just better and they don't see that as a value. But I think that the people who really value, um, what's the word, being lean and mean or not wasteful, really are incredibly passionate about that. Jeff Bezos is at their various points and maybe again sometime the world's richest man and He's in Amazon, he instilled that culture of being very thrifty, which is deep in his bones. And I happen to know a friend of mine, I can't name them for legal and reasons, but one of the richest people in the world, he happens to be brokering a deal for some real estate, some property. And the lady who's selling it know that this knows that the person on the other end of it is a billionaire and wants full asking price. This guy is used to getting a deal and he's going to walk away. And that's an example of the fact that these things are ingrained values. It's not because this guy can't afford to spend the hundred, a thousand, ten thousand pounds the asking price. It's a value. So austerity, not austerity, what's the word? The only value, thrift. Those are values, I think, like for people like Jeff Bezos at Amazon or Walmart, right? Famously, those kinds of people. So I just wanted to say you can't just make it cheaper and it works. It has to be something deeper, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. So Rante, let's talk about the more practical steps about creating a brand identity. Let's assume we're starting from a fairly blank canvas, but people got some idea of the brand and they got some kind of idea of a market that they're going to serve and the keywords they're going to go for if they're marketing on Amazon or indeed via Google driven type searches. So what are the steps in creating that? Have we got any cool examples? Yeah, absolutely. So it starts with the name, right? This is visual. We see the name, we see it written. We are going to see it in a lot of different areas. Are we going to understand how to easily pronounce this? Is it going to work within the geographic market that we're trying to launch this product? Is it going to be received well there? Does it mean something different in that culture? Does it look Does it look fun? If the product is fun, does the word look serious or does it look fun? These are all adjectives that we use to describe a product or company name. From the naming aspect, once you have that, the first is really this core brand identity. And we like to start with the logo because... It allows you to get the feel for the colors and the style that you're going to use. And you don't have to come up with this, right? As a business owner, you shouldn't have, you should be guiding the brand, but you shouldn't be building the visual assets yourself. And I think this is the trap we see a lot of people fall into with the rise of do-it-yourself tools. Do-it-yourself tools don't make you a designer, right? So what you as the business owner and the product owner understand best is the market. You understand who you're trying to speak to you know, what you're trying to build, what your unique value proposition is bringing this product to market. And that's what you communicate to the designer. You tell them we're trying to create an affluent project or a budget project. You tell them we're trying to reach first-time moms or military veterans. These are very specific audiences. And then the designer can use this knowledge. What You tell them what competitors are already on the market, how you're different from them, They take this knowledge and build this core visual brand identity. So logos just don't come together and brands don't come, visual brands don't come together just because they look nice, right? Each color should have a reason for being. Each shape should have a reason for being in that design, right? Different shapes and an angular shape is going to feel a little bit more tough, a little bit more hard hitting, a little bit more edgy, a little bit more modern, different ways of describing just a clean line as opposed to something that curves or is a little bit more flowing. If you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash 394. So once you have this core visual identity, 
then you take these these designs, these style, the colors, and then you transfer this into your marketing materials and your packaging, right? And so you want to make sure the packaging design has the same feel. You want to make sure that it's unique. There's ways you don't have to use the standard packaging that comes from your printer. You can actually create your own packaging. And the beauty of this is that it highlights your product and its benefits very specifically. You can guide the customer's eye and what you want them to focus on and present the product in a certain way while helping stand out and create that sense of uniqueness within the product. Because so many of our products just come from Amazon in a box and they're thrown in there and it's a little bit more of a utility relationship. But when you have that product that you unbox and you're excited for, and it's highlighting the feature specifically, and one thing that drives me crazy is packaging that feels like it's never been opened by the person that designed it. It's, are you kidding? This is taking me 20 minutes to get into. Did you never try to open up your own package and realize how frustrating it is? Or when you open it, the product falls out in in an unceremonious manner. We want to highlight our products as being solutions. And we want people to feel that what the decision that they made was a good one, right? We want them, especially if they're spending any any amount of money on our product, we don't want any doubt. Doubt at any stage of this process is incredibly detrimental to our revenue, right? We don't want any doubt when they land on our Amazon page. We don't want any doubt right after they checked out. And we don't want any doubt when they get the product in their hands. And each of those areas, your brand is critical because the brand needs to be on brand every single time, every single interaction. So the Amazon page is using the same colors and pictures and imagery and that style that is part of your brand, part of the website. And then so does the uh, the packaging itself. We've all seen brands that might have one or two words on the Amazon page that are just off. They're not in the common lexicon. They're, they're not misspelled. They're just not quite right for that situation. And immediately you've got this little bit of doubt. You've got a red flag and it's like, wait a minute, a retailer like Nike is not going to make that mistake, right? You're not going to find a blurry product photo on Nike. You're not going to find misspelled words or words that don't have the right context. It's perfect. And that's because they spent a lot of time and effort to make sure that everything is on brand. And we've got to do that with our products or we're creating doubt. And uh, brands and brand identities are a great way to show that consistency throughout the entire life cycle of the product. Right. So a couple of obvious questions that come from me. And the first of all, you've outlined extremely well why you use a designer, just because the tools are great. I remember when I used to teach the piano, I'm very grateful to have left those days behind me, but there's some little kid who's about like five years old had been given by his very rich parents a Steinway Grand Piano, which is like the Rolls Royce of pianos and costs about the same as a Rolls Royce, maybe $150,000. And he could play like six notes badly on it. It didn't make any difference. He had a super expensive, amazing tool. Now, the equivalent to that is like the modern promises, use our tool and you can become instantly expert. And that's a bit like giving somebody a keyboard with pre-programmed drum machine on it, which we all know from anyone growing up from the 80s onwards, how disgusting that sounds. So the reality is tech and imagination and technical skills, as you say, are not overcome by tools. I can't underline that enough. And I say that as somebody who's guilty of doing his own visual design quite a lot of the time. And then if we're so often, somebody will come and consult for me and kindly or less kindly point out what a mess it is. And I'll look at it and go, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so don't do it yourself. So that's a great advice. Now, two things imply from that. One is, first of all, do we, how do we get this consistency? Because if we're going to employ somebody who's great at logos, somebody who's great at photos, somebody who's great at graphic design and photos, maybe a different person who's good at a product design and packaging, that's quite a specialist. And then industrial design, we're going to talk about separately, the actual product itself. Those are different skill sets. 
that's a lot of people, there's a lot of potential to having 10, like a Franken kind of brand, right? Lots of different right. ideas that don't match. So how do we get that consistency? Yeah, so it's it, two things. You, you need the guidelines, the brand guidelines, and you need somebody who enforces them, right? So the, this could be this brand guidelines are written down. Here are our colors, right? These are the colors that we use. Here's the color that we use for CTAs, for call to actions. Here's our primary color. Here are our fonts. Here's when we use these fonts. Fonts are part of this visual brand imagery that we're trying to convey. Here's the style that we speak in. Are we serious? Are we hard hitting? Are we edgy? Are we modern? Are we inviting? Or are we a little cheeky? These are all styles of writing, right? What's our product photography look like? Or do we use models? Do we look a little bit more modern? Is it product focused? Or is it lifestyle and people using it? So these are all just general guidelines that you're trying to say, okay, here's, here's the creative rails. And then, as you mentioned, you have a lot of different people working on the product. Ultimately, one person needs to approve this. One person needs to say, you know what, this is on brand or it's not. This matches our brand guidelines or it doesn't. And then what you find is you start updating your brand guidelines because, well, maybe you haven't seen this particular use case come through yet. And so once the central person, the owner of the product, the owner of the brand has said, you know what, this is off brand, we're going to include it in our brand guidelines. We're going to tell people, don't do this moving forward. And this is what you want to make sure that everybody uh, sees within the organization that's working on this. It's something we built at CrowdSpring through our creative brief. When you get on CrowdSpring.com and you walk through this process, we're asking you very specific questions. Who are your competitors? Why are you different? What colors do you use? You don't have to tell us these things. You can tell us, you know what? I don't have any colors yet, or I'm not proud of the ones that I have. You create these for the first time. But if you have these guidelines, we want to know because we want to create something that's on brand for your organization. Okay, so that really brings to the next point, which is you got the, and I'm glad you put it both sides. I think in a lot of business, so for example, intellectual property, everyone thinks that you need to get a patent or a trademark or whatever, but it's one thing going and registering that and paying good money for it. And then you got to enforce the thing, which is a whole different problem. So we got two problems. I still with those separately. So how do we actually create the brand guidelines? Is that something we should hire somebody to do? Because it strikes me that in a way, if a brand owner knows the market, but doesn't know how visual marketing, unless they happen to have a graphic design background. I've worked with people like that, but most sure. of us, myself included, certainly shouldn't really be allowed near the graphic design. That implies we don't really know how to create brand guidelines, especially around visual aspects in the first place. So do we need to hire somebody to actually create brand guidelines? And how does that interaction look, if so, between the owner and the brand guidelines person? Yeah, it, it just depends how far advanced we are within creating this brand. We might be looking at this and saying, you know what, I don't like anything about my product or my brand. It's just happened. It's come together and it's a bit chaotic. And so I'm starting from I'm, I'm starting from scratch, essentially. Or you might already have something that, that you really like. It's actually not that that complicated. So we've written a lot about this on our blog, crowdspring.com forward slash blog, where we get into brand identity and creating this. It's really just the simple questions that we've already stated. To start with, the more detail, the better, but you also want something actionable. Because if you look at, like the Red Cross has brand guidelines and they're probably 50 pages long. And we don't need that much detail. We're typically not, we're not fundraising, we're not advertising in a variety of different mediums where it's pretty straightforward what we're doing. And so just being very specific, you'll be on brand much more often if when you give your designers, whether they're in-house or outsourced, a very simple set of guidelines like your colors, the fonts that you use, and the style of photography that you have. 
the easiest way to do this is to look at competitors that you like. You know, we, we typically use big names you know, that we're all familiar with, Nike and Apple. But in your market, you've got somebody very specific that is doing something either similar or something that, that maybe is not similar, but you appreciate how they're doing it. Take a look at their consistency. Look at what they're doing regularly. Look at their style. And this can help you inform your design team what you're looking for. Yeah, I like that. I think also the shorthand for something, it almost sounds like a sort of investor pitch somehow. The Silicon Valley thing is we're going to be the Uber of X or we're going to be the Apple of Y. And in a way, I could say CrowdSpring is like the 99 designs with more curation and, you know, with much a broader palette, including product design. And people roughly know what you mean. So what's interesting about that is obviously... You're taking the brand values and quality that we're used to associating with Nike, Apple, whatever it is, but then you're applying it in a different context. So you're not just falling into that old Amazon trap of just copying a competition, I think. What are your thoughts on that? What do you see in terms yeah, of copying competition? Can we talk about packaging specifically? We, yes, we talked please. about this <laughs> before. We did a project for World's Best Tweezers. They're out of Switzerland and they have a $20 tweezer. Now, here is a product. And when you think about tweezers, you think about something that's a couple dollars, right? It's not very expensive. But the couple dollar tweezers actually don't work very well. There's, a, there's actually a problem with, with the product, but we've just been used to, to working with this. They created a tweezer with just microscopic precision with the tweezer heads, and they wanted to sell it at a premium. And so they're selling a $20 product that's really 10 times what the market is used to paying. And the product packaging that they had looked like dollar store packaging. It looked like something that matched a $2 tweezer as opposed to a $20 tweezer. And so they came to us to design specific packaging. And this was packaging that highlighted the product, put it into kind of a bit of a pedestal, made you feel good about this purchase, right? That there's no doubt, right? So when you think about that, that process, and where they're showing their packaging. They show that packaging on their Amazon page or their sales page on their website. They obviously sell it offline as well. And so they have the same packaging there. So you immediately see this product is not like the others. They feel different about this product, okay? And they're trying to communicate that. And then when you get this product in your hands, what's the first thing we do when we get a product? We have a little bit of doubt. We were like, okay, is this going to solve my problem? I'm not quite sure. Was the investment, am I going to be made to look like a fool paying $20 for tweezers? All of this starts to go away the moment you take their package out of the standard brown Amazon box because you immediately say, okay, this is different because $2 tweezers can't afford this. $2 tweezers would come in a cheap little container. This is something different. And so I'm going into it with this expectation that this product is going to meet my needs. Now, your product actually has to, right? Great packaging and a great delivery system, but then not having a product that lives up to that is going to cause that that you know, that doubt to creep back. But World's Best Tweezers did a great job about focusing on their packaging so that they could use that in their product photography. The customer unboxes and sees this, and it just creates a lot less confusion around the value of the product. Yeah, I like it a lot. By the way, I think one of the greatest ways to differentiate your product is two hits with one go is to essentially use your packaging as 3D experience and a tactile experience if it has particular texture when you're unboxing. And that's really great for getting, if you're going to be Amazon-centric about it, getting good reviews and thus increasing your conversion rates, which really helps everything like the profit, cash flow, effectiveness of advertising, ranking, everything else. Great things come from that. 
but also you can use it as a 2D design and take photographs of it and legitimately put it in even the main image. Thus, it actually turns up on the search results page and pops visually as a differentiator because it's what you'll actually receive. So it's completely within Amazon terms of service, always has been, I think always probably will be because it is part of what you receive. So you can put it in the main image and that makes it pop off the page. So that's something I've been advising people for years. I'm not saying I've always had good visual taste about the results, but certainly I always get something quite striking. And uh, that, that has a good effect if you've got a, a load of white backgrounds with black products on or something in a lot of areas, for example. If you suddenly have an orange box, it pops. Whether that's good or not depends on the customer avatar, of course, but it's certainly something that I would say is a, it's a, almost a hack. It's not, it's much more strategic than that. But I think that Amazon sellers missed that. So there you go. Worth absolutely obsessing about the pocketing, even if only for that reason. Listen, there's tons of stuff here and we could, we could talk all day about brand identity, but we better wrap this one up so we can get on this custom product design because I think that's a bit more unique. It's far rarer that there are marketplaces for designers out there who you would trust to physically design products. But so with, regarding the sort of brand identity side of stuff, just give us a bit of a smorgasbord of the types of services you offer in that space. Yeah, absolutely. So we have 33 categories of branding and design. So everything from naming, creating the logo, creating the marketing materials, both online and offline. I think flyers and postcards and business cards, things like this. Creating infographics for your website or for the Amazon page. Infographics do a great job about conveying, or I'm sorry, illustrations, custom illustrations. We have infographics as well, but specifically for this audience, the custom illustrations do a great job at translating difficult to understand concepts very quickly. Right. So if you want to explain how your product fits within the customer's broader ecosystem of products, custom illustrations do a great job about tying that together in a way that sometimes visual photography is limited. And then packaging and physical product design, which we'll talk about. The one thing I want to leave you with is that, as you mentioned, Michael, that, you know, a lot of times we're too close to the business. We create something and we like the way the colors work together, but we're not the customer right? We're not the customer we're trying to seek. We're the owner. We're the curator and builder of the brand. We're not necessarily the customer. And so we have to make sure that this resonates, this design resonates with our audience that we're trying to target. And one of the best ways to do that is to get feedback from somebody not connected to you and not, not your mom, <laughs> not your spouse, and, and not somebody on your team. And Crowdspring offers this. So we offer a free brand identity grader. It is a 10-page custom report. It's done by a human. We look at your brand, look at the visuals. We provide both a score as well as actionable feedback on things that you can do to make this communicate a little bit stronger with your brand. And we'll provide the link in the show notes, but that's on CrowdSpring and a great way to, to have somebody else look at your brand who's experienced. We've done thousands of these reviews and it's completely free. Amazing. And by the way, um, I was about to say I'm a sucker for an audit, but that's not the right phrase. But I was immediately thinking, oh. I need this actually, because <laughs> I'm going through, through rebranding <laughs> of my website. Yes, we all do. And yeah, that, that sounds actually great. So just to make it something that we can remember for the podcast listeners, go to amazingfba.com forward slash brand grade. I find it down and that will redirect to the place. It's a bit of a long URL on CrowdSpring. Definitely worth checking out. I've already ordered mine while I was on the call because I thought I've got to get that. I'm curious. So that's a really, by the way, a smart thing to offer. <laughs> Some kind of audit, if you have any kind of business to business offer all your products serves kind of practical problem. And then also for those who want to go ahead and do anything, what's the next step if they actually want to use CrowdSpring to actually use hire some designers? 
Absolutely. So we'll give a discount for your audience and we'll give that in the show notes as well. I don't have that with me now. The crowdspring.com is the easiest way we've made it. We've made it simple for you to check out. You can launch projects at 11 o'clock in your underwear. You don't have to talk to a salesperson. There's seven day customer support. And uh, I think the key here, what's different is you're getting dozens of different designs or names for each of these projects. And so you're able to see the brand come to life. You're able to see different directions to take the brand, give feedback in different areas. And you're going to find a lot of different examples that you never would have thought could have communicated your brand so effectively. Yeah, it's an exciting part of business. A lot of business is solving really annoying problems like stuff doesn't turn up or people are complaining. But I think this is the lovely creative part of it. And I think if we're willing to share that with a designer rather than keep it to ourselves in an unwise way, then you can create something really wonderful that way. So this is a very positive part of the business, I think. And so it's a joy to bring it to people. So Jason, thank you so much for talking through brand identity. And we're going to talk about custom product design shortly. But in the meantime, Jason Bayer from CrowdSpring. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Great to be here, Michael. Thanks. If you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash 394. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.